May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Welcome, dear Feast of Lent, who loves not thee? He loves not temperance or authority, but is composed of passion. These are first words from George Herbert's poem titled Lent. Over the years, I've had lots of people say to me, maybe you're one of them, I just love Lent. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, Lent uh, is a time of the year in traditional agrarian societies when you're running out of the winter stores of food and the greens have not yet begun sprouting from the earth and you're half starved. It's a fast that is imposed by the land and the climate that is made holy by practice. Now I have a feeling that that is not what attracts us to it today. But perhaps it is the making holy of something that we really do deeply desire. And perhaps that is a deep longing for an alternative way of being in the world. There's definitely something calling to us from the deep in this season. And there just may be a clue to that on this first Sunday in Lent when we hear in the gospel Jesus's epic confrontation with all manner of temptation and evil. A brief scan of the ads on a typical half hour of television tells you right away that we live in a culture where giving in to temptation is not considered a vice, but a virtue. We are regularly encouraged to go ahead and treat yourself, pamper yourself, give in to temptation, satisfy that desire. Advertisers are masters at the art of getting people to indulge their every desire. After all, you deserve it, right? You and your desires are the most important thing to consider. In fact, a lot of advertising, and pardon me to any of you that work in the advertising field, a lot of advertising is even calculated to help initiate desires that you didn't even know you had. This is just one of many indications of our cultural obsession with self-gratification, self-indulgence, and even a kind of pervasive sense of entitlement to the things that make your life more easy or enjoyable or to be envied by others. Seldom are we encouraged to resist temptation or question our desires. We learn from Sigmund Freud not to trust anything that wants to repress our desires or our emotions. So what do we do? We indulge them. To do otherwise would be, well, According to Freud, unnatural, harmful to our psyches. This is a story that we have been told, and by most indications, it has worked its way deeply into our lives. Many of the messages we're sent in our culture are inspired by an economic system that demands continual growth through increased, yes, consumption. And so there's not much attention being paid to the differences between our true desire and our false desire. After all, that would not be good for business. But there is a big difference between those two things. True desire is what we most deeply desire. And by deeply, I mean below the level of conscious thought. It is our longing for connection 
and relationship, for fidelity and trust, for intimacy and love. Ultimately, what can only be described as, at the very deepest level, our desire for life with God. Our false desires are the substitutes that we use for satisfying this one true and deepest desire. But such a distinction is often deliberately ignored in our culture because satisfying our truest and deepest desire would almost never require us to buy anything or to go to a particular place or to look a certain way. And so we buy into all kinds of false substitutes that satisfy us for a moment but are rarely lasting. From the beginning of the biblical story of our human willfulness, we hear the scriptures speak of the deep, insatiable human propensity to live out of sync with God through an uncontrolled and perhaps uncontrollable desire. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, says that we are propelled in ways that we do not understand to live in willful self-assertion and in willful abdication, either way refusing the invitation to be God's partner in the life of the world. I think that what he means by that is that we are often not conscious of just how much our own willfulness, our own certainty about what we think we really, really want, keep us from enjoying the life that God really intends for us because we're more willing to settle for false substitutes than we are to check ourselves and ask the really hard questions and to resist the temptation to settle for what is not real. Katerina Whitley says that temptation is to be pulled away from our Creator by substituting the temporal for the eternal. We are pulled away from the purpose, she says, for which we were created, which is to live in God, to be one with God, to delight in God, to know the mind of God. We can see this in the kinds of temptations that we also often face. The temptation to spend what we do not have for things that we do not need. The temptation to substitute fleeting or illusory relationships for true commitment and fidelity. The temptation to lie to ourselves or even to others about what we really need or want. The temptation to indulge our own desires without regard for the greater good or for the long-term consequences of our actions. These are just some of the temptations we face. But Jesus' own temptation in the wilderness is a model for us. That story that we heard just a few minutes ago from the Gospel of Luke today shows Jesus as able to resist every tempting desire, even for things that were arguably and rightfully his. Who could fault him for desiring bread after fasting for 40 days, after all? Wasn't he, in fact, the Son of God, And couldn't he legitimately command the angels to bear him up? And how about all those kingdoms that Satan tempted him with? Weren't they his anyway already? In each case, Jesus refused to submit to false desires or to substitute what was temporal for what was most enduring and true. 
So the question for all of us then is, how can you and I learn to do the same thing when we face temptation? We begin by recognizing that every desire we feel is rooted in something deep and profound that has to do with our life in God. And it is something that we are being called to explore and to embrace. But we too easily satiate that desire with things that will not last. And in doing so, we miss the opportunity to ask the deeper question, what is it that I really, really do desire? The answer to this question will ultimately lead us to a deeper life with God and to a place where the lie of false substitutes for God is exposed. These 40 days of Lent, which we have just begun, are an invitation to us to do just that. Our 40 days of Lent are in some ways our own 40 days with Jesus in the wilderness where he fasted and prayed. One of the reasons that traditionally in Lent we give something up is that it helps to break through that part of our consciousness that says that we are entitled to whatever we desire. And it enables us to ask the deeper question about where that desire ultimately comes from and what it is that will really and finally satisfy that desire. By the time Jesus faced his temptation, he knew the one primal truth about what was needed, and that was God alone. Nothing else, finally, could satisfy his one consuming desire. Not recognition, not power, not even food itself. This knowledge was what would sustain him through his coming ministry and all that he would face both in life and in death. So this time of Lent, this time of fasting, whether you're giving up something or not, or if you are, whether it's something physical like food or drink or some other thing that you desire, is meant to help us to say no thank you to what is false in life and yes please to what is true. And in doing so, we begin to have our deepest desires met. George Herbert's poem titled Lent has another verse that says this, It's true we cannot reach Christ's 40th day, yet to go part of that religious way is better than to rest. We cannot reach our Savior's purity, yet we are bid be holy even as he in both Let's do our best. Amen.